If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, (laughs) please turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're in our final study, final section in our study of the book of Colossians, where Paul teaches us in his final concluding verses here, a very valuable lesson. And that lesson is this, any effort that you and I will ever make to exalt Jesus Christ above all is going to be a team effort. See, we've been learning in the book of Colossians that Jesus Christ is above all. He is the invisible God made visible, the supreme and sufficient one, the one who is ruler over creation, redemption, the church, and all things. He is the preeminent one, and therefore he is to be preeminent in our lives as those who confess him as our Savior and Lord. He is to be He is to rule over our will, our minds, and our hearts, as we learned at the beginning of chapter 3. He is to reign preeminent over our daily practices and our daily priorities. Now that is a very high calling, and we've been seeing what that calling is throughout these last two chapters. No believer is able to perform it on his own. Though we have already won the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, and though we have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling in us, He has not given us alone the Holy Spirit. He has bestowed it upon Him, upon all those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need other believers alongside of us who spur us on, who stir us up, who encourage us to faithfully put to death, as chapter 3 taught us, the works of sin and to put on the virtues of Jesus Christ in our lives. We need each other in this spiritual battle to exalt Jesus Christ above all. It's just like with Moses when the Israelites were battling the Malachites in Exodus 17. Exodus 17.11 says, Whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. So all that Moses had to do was raise his hands. Pretty simple, right? Well, the only problem is, verse 12, Moses' hands grew weary. He couldn't do it alone. So what did he have? He had two friends, Aaron and Hur, who took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. See, we learn there that even with Moses, great victory could only be achieved with the help of others. And not only great victory, but also great ministry, because later on, in Numbers 11, verse 14, Moses tells God, I am not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. And you know what God says in essence? You're absolutely right. Thank you for finally realizing it. Now go out into the camp and pick 70 elders who will be able to judge Israel and rule alongside you. They will bear the burden with you. Because you can't do it alone. Great victory, great ministry, cannot be achieved individually. It requires a team effort. And there is no greater ministry than the ministry of fighting for the glory of Jesus Christ in our lives, in our own families, and in our communities. 1 Corinthians 12.14 and following says this, For the body has not one member. The body has many The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. For each part of the body is indispensable towards the care of every other part. We need each other deeply. If we are to exalt Jesus Christ in our lives the way we ought to. Any effort to exalt Jesus Christ above all, either in life or ministry, is always a team effort. 
Well, as we're seeing here, as we conclude the letter of Colossians over these few weeks, is that that lesson was not lost on the Apostle Paul. And he didn't want it lost on the Colossian church either. And so he finishes his letter to the Colossians with what you might call a group photograph, where he contains brief snapshots of those who were ministering alongside him at that time. And in so doing, Paul reminds us that one of the uh, the, he reminds us of the many different ministers and servants that make up a Christ-exalting life and ministry. The portrait of a successful Christ-exalting life and ministry is always a group photograph, and we see that here in Colossians chapter four, verses seven through eighteen. We began looking at this passage last week. In the opening verses of verses 7-9 through where we were introduced to the idea through two men named Tychicus and Onesimus that those who humbly serve the ministry in any way necessary are the most basic and indispensable part of a Christ-exalting ministry. Those who are simply willing to help out any way needed. That is a characteristic that all of us are to possess as those who are followers of Jesus Christ, the heart of a servant. For even Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 26, if you want to be great, in other words, great not in the eyes of man, but great in the eyes of God, you must live among one another as one who serves. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. See, all of us are called to serve one another for the glory of Christ in imitation of Him. And that truth is underlined in the rest of the passages that are set, the passage that's set before us today. After Paul emphasizes the importance of service in verses 7-9, through 9, he then shows us in the following verses five different ways in which we can serve one another for the glory of Christ. Because the portrait of a successful Christ-exalting ministry involves those who serve, yes, as we saw in verses 7-9, through but that service is demonstrated by those who encourage the ministry. That's in verses 10-11. through Those who pray for the ministry. That's in verses 12-13. through Those who remain in the ministry. That's in verse 14. Those who receive the ministry as they ought in verses 15-17. through And finally, those who deliver the ministry as they ought in verse 18. So that's the final lesson that's contained in the book of Colossians. If Christ is to be exalted above all in my life, if Christ is to be exalted above all in your life, and if Christ is to be exalted above all in our life as a church, then we need to. T- then it takes all of us together, standing side by side for the faith of the gospel and the glory of Jesus. It takes a group photograph. And so, with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter four, verses seven through eighteen. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words, verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who's called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They have been a comfort to me. 
Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the Word of God who holds us up that we may be safe and have regard for His statutes continually. Let's pray. Father, we pray that You would work in our midst this morning. That you would accompany the preaching and teaching of your word by your spirit with power. Father, I pray that you would fulfill your promises that as your word goes forth, it would produce fruit. Fruit of repentance. Fruit of righteousness. Fruit of conviction. The fruit of encouragement the fruit of transformed lives that are shaped by the power of Your Word. Father, I pray that as a result of this message, we might, as we leave this place, stand a bit more mature and fully assured in all the will of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So after Paul introduces to us the idea that the most essential element of a Christ-exalting ministry is those who are simply willing to serve, he then starts showing us different ways in which believers do plug themselves into each other's lives and into the church for the glory of Jesus Christ. He shows us that the first subset of that group of servants is those who serve by those who encourage the ministry. That's in verses 10 through 11. And here in this passage, in these two verses, we learn about three men. Three men who encouraged Paul in his ministry to proclaim Jesus by using all the Word of God to present all of Christ to all God's people. The first man that is introduced here was a man named Aristarchus. It's at the beginning of verse 10 where Paul writes, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Now, Aristarchus, a man named Thessalonica, appears, uh, a man from Thessalonica, appears in Acts 20, verse 4, as one of Paul's ministry companions from Asia Minor that accompanied him on that original journey we talked about last week with Tychicus, on that journey to go to Jerusalem to encourage the brothers there who were in need. Aristarchus accompanied Tychicus and many other believers on that journey to Jerusalem. And Aristarchus, because of that choice to serve the Lord in that way, suffered from many hardships because of that. In fact, in Acts 19, when Paul was in Ephesus, the Bible says that a riot of no little disturbance erupted over Paul's teaching. 
And verse 29 of Acts 19 tells us that Aristarchus' own life in those moments were threatened as he was seized and forcibly dragged into the public theater as a prisoner to be beaten to death by the mob. Now most people that I know of would tap out of ministry at that point and would look for a more seeker-friendly ministry than the Apostle Paul's. But guess what? After that whole ordeal, guess who still gets into a boat in Acts chapter 20 to go to Jerusalem with Paul to face whatever he was about to face there? Aristarchus. And not only that, but we find out in Acts 27 verse 2 that when Paul later got on a boat to go as a prisoner to Rome, guess who was with him on that boat as well? Aristarchus. And if you know the studies of what Paul went through at the end part of Acts, that means who was shipwrecked in the later tales? Who got wet? Aristarchus. And who, as Colossians says, was now sitting in the jail with Paul in Rome? Aristarchus was. Now, was Aristarchus a prisoner, as Paul says here, because he was convicted of anything? You won't find that anywhere in Scripture. Nope. You'll, what you'll find is that Aristarchus just wanted to be with Paul to encourage him. And so if Paul was, if Paul was in a boat, then Aristarchus would be in a boat. If Paul was going to be threatened by a mob, then Aristarchus was going to be in the mob. And if Paul was going to be in prison, then Aristarchus was going to be in prison with him. He fully identified himself with the Apostle Paul's ministry. He was so devoted to Jesus Christ and to proclaiming Him faithfully that he identified himself fully with what Paul was doing in the proclamation of the Word. So much so that Paul's lifestyle began to become Aristarchus' lifestyle. And Paul's experiences became his experiences. He wanted so much to encourage Paul as he exalted Christ that he got right in there with him. Right where he was. So no matter the difficulties, no matter the problems, Aristarchus would stay with Paul through thick and thin and would be an encouragement to him as he faithfully proclaimed Christ in any and every circumstance. And as such, Aristarchus stands in sharp contrast to the history of another man that's mentioned next in verse 10. A man identified here in Colossians as Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And then Paul says, concerning whom... You have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now you know already who this is. This is John Mark. If you don't know who John Mark is, you are in for a treat this morning. Because you see, John Mark and Paul had a rough past together. It all started in Acts 13, verse 5, where we're told that during Paul's first missionary journey, when Paul and Barnabas were preaching in Salamis on the island of Cyprus, they had John Mark along as their helper, whom they had brought earlier from Jerusalem. And no doubt, just as Paul did with many others, Paul was probably mentoring this younger cousin of Barnabas in the work of the ministry. The only problem is we are told in verse 13 of Acts 13, that when they came, Paul and Barnabas, to a difficult part of the trip that was marked by terrain and by robbers and bandits, it said John Mark departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. So when the going got tough, John Mark ran away. He bailed out. He left Paul and Barnabas when they really needed him and and he chose comfort over commitment. Well, Paul was a Good man, but he wasn't perfect. (laughs) And uh, that betrayal caused some deep hurt in the Apostle Paul. 
So much so that later on in Acts 15.37, when Paul and Barnabas are about to start their second missionary journey and go around to visit the churches they planted the first time, Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark, my cousin. And Paul's response is basically, yeah, right, I don't think we're going to count on the guy that abandoned us in the first trip to then come with us in the second. And you can guess how that probably went. Hey, that's my cousin you're talking about. And we find out in verse 39 of Acts 15, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they, that is Paul and Barnabas, separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas. So at that moment in Acts, Paul did not want anything to do with this man named John Mark. And yet here we are 12 years later in Colossians. And Paul's perspective, as you can see, has entirely changed. Notice what Paul says in verse 10. He says, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now why does Paul have to tell the Colossian church to welcome John Mark? It's probably because they were tempted not to. After he abandoned Paul and Barnabas, John Mark likely acquired the reputation of being a failure, a weakling, a weakling, an abandoner. But now notice 12 years later, Paul's perspective on John Mark has entirely changed. He's been restored to a position of usefulness. In fact, in Philemon 24, Paul calls John Mark a fellow worker. Someone who was now in the trenches right there alongside of him. So you can say, well, what changed John Mark? From being this guy that at the moment ministry got tough, he ran away, to being this guy that Paul said, man, you can count on this man to fulfill the ministry. What happened in John Mark's life? Studying Scripture, I would say that probably it was the ministry of the Apostle Peter in his life. You see, when John Mark jumped ship, he ran right back to Jerusalem. Guess what Apostle always remained in Jerusalem? Peter did. Peter did. And guess what Apostle knew a thing or two about betraying those who are closest to you when things got tough? Peter did. Peter did. And guess who intimately knew what it's like to fail, to truly be weak, and to abandon those that you should have stood by in the moment of hardship? Peter did. And I think Peter took the struggling John Mark under his wing because listen to what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5.13, which we read this morning. The church who is in Babylon sends you greetings, and listen to this, so does Mark, my son. My son. So Peter had personally walked the path to restoration from weakness to strength, and I believe that the Apostle Peter took John Mark under his wing and led him on that same journey that Christ had Peter walk on. And in fact, John Mark was one of only four men privileged to write a gospel in the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. And now here in Colossians, John Mark sits next to Paul in prison, no longer running from hardship, but he is faithfully enduring it as a faithful and good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so to have someone like John Mark alongside of Paul in prison, the presence of this young man who had repented and been restored to such great usefulness would have been a tremendous encouragement to the Apostle Paul, a reminder of the ministry and power of Jesus Christ in someone's life. In fact, John Mark grew and he became such an encouragement that at the end of Paul's life, As Paul lay dying in a cold, dark pit in Rome, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4.11, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him to 
Bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. What a change. To go from Paul saying, I don't want this guy, to Paul saying, if there's anyone I want alongside me to minister minister to me in my final days, it's John Mark. I want him. Isn't that amazing? I think there's a tremendous lesson here that there, there is a second chance to be found in Christ. There's a future for failures like Peter and Paul and John Mark and you and me. Behold, if any man is in Christ, he is a New creation. Old things are passing away. Behold, all things have become new. There is a second chance to be found in Christ. A future for failures. It's found in the power and grace that's in Christ Jesus. So Aristarchus was an encouragement to Paul because of his faithful service in ministry. John Mark was an encouragement because he was a demonstration of the power of Christ. An example of the very ministry that Paul had engaged himself in throughout his life. And finally, we have another man here who is named Jesus Justice. Verse 11, Paul says, "...in Jesus who is called Justice, which means righteous." Can you, first, can you imagine being called that? I mean, that would have been horrible. Jesus the righteous, right? <laughs> that's your name as people say hello to you. One, that's an intimidating name to live up to. Just kind of like the name Christian, little Christ. But on the other hand, your evangelism is already halfway done by the time people just get to know your name, right? I wonder how many times Jesus Justice just started talking and he said, okay, now let me introduce you to the Jesus you really need to get to know. It's not me. And let me introduce you to the Jesus that's really righteous and it's not me either, right? It's Christ, right? Um, Jesus Justice. Unfortunately, apart from his name, uh, we don't know anything else about Jesus Justice. There's no other cross-references we find of him in Scripture. We just know... That he was there. He was present with Paul. So you might think this morning, well, that's not much. And I was tempted to think the same. And still I was thinking about it this week. That's, that's a lot. That is a lot. Never under, underestimate the value of just being there. Like Jesus' justice was with Paul in that time. Never underestimate the value of just being present in the lives of your brothers and sisters who are around you. Oh, there's an important lesson to be learned here by Jesus' justice. See, there are some times in life when due to health conditions or hard circumstances, we can't do much in ministry for a while. At least what we often think of as ministry, right? When we think of Aristarchus or we think of Tychicus or Onesimus going on these long journeys, walking thousands of miles for the glory of Christ. And here's Jesus' justice sitting with Paul in prison. That was a ministry. There's times when we can't do much in ministry for a while, but even in those times, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to forget of how much an encouragement you are to simply be there. To be present alongside your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll never forget when I was in Pennsylvania, there was an elderly gentleman that had, an op- that had open heart bypass surgery and then got into a car accident so that he could barely even walk. But you know what? He was there. He, he couldn't do much. 
But to see a man in his physical condition commit as much as he could just to be there to worship God and fellowship with God's people as long as he had physical strength. That man's mere presence in the congregation was one of the greatest spiritual encouragements and ministries I've ever seen. He accomplished more just by being there than probably 90% of my sermons. If you've ever gone through a difficult time as well, many stories I could share, you know, I know that you can attest that just to have someone with you at that time, even silently, is the greatest comfort to a burdened and hurting soul. And so don't neglect the spiritual ministry of simply being there, of simply being present. Even when you can't do much, your simple presence and your prayers are a great encouragement to the family of God. Because listen to how Paul finishes verse 11. He says this, These, that is Aristarchus, John Mark, Jesus Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision, that is Jews, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been what? A comfort. A comfort to me. There were only, first, think about this, there were only three Jewish believers who were serving with Paul for the kingdom of God. We learn in Acts 28 that some Jews believed, and yet even among those that ever believed, only three ever made a commitment to serve alongside Paul. How that must have grieved him when he considered the spiritual state of his own countrymen and the hardness, the partial hardening of their heart towards the gospel and their own Messiah. Yet among them all, there were still three exceptions. Aristarchus, John Mark, and Jesus Justice. And so Paul says, these three have been a comfort. And that word comfort is beautiful. These three people have been a balm. They have been a soothing medicine to my soul. Their continued presence alongside me relieves my pain. Their presence does. You say, well, why? It's because Aristarchus and John Mark and, and the Jesus Justice were just fantastic people? That in themselves they were so wonderfully gifted? Is that why they were a balm to Paul? No, it was because they were in Christ. See, Paul does not finish the book of Colossians to say, hey, I want to remind you all, Christ is above all, and by the way, you're really awesome too, so get involved in each other's lives. No, what he's saying is Christ is above all, you are all in Christ, therefore be among one another so that Christ might minister to one another. Be involved in each other's lives. Aristarchus, John Mark, Jesus, Justice encouraged Paul in his ministry because they were in Christ and being someone who is in Christ, they had a testimony of faithful service, they had a testimony of faithful repentance, and they had a testimony of just faithful presence that could encourage Paul in the ministry. It is so important in a Christ-exalting ministry that you have those who encourage, who build up, and who strengthen those around there by their service, by their restoration, and sometimes by their mere presence. These three men made it their mission to deliver the Apostle Paul comfort and encouragement and restoration and renewal, and the importance of these three men's ministry cannot be overstated. 
Because Paul couldn't do it on his own, could he? He needed others to serve alongside him for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Can I just say, as a pastor, that the elders of this church and the staff and so many other members that I have gotten to know here, they are a comfort to me. A balm. Through their service, through their lives of faith and spiritual growth, and often through their simple presence, they are sons and daughters of encouragement. And beloved, we ought all to be like this. We ought all to be to one another times of refreshing and encouragement that is sent from the presence of the Lord. A ministry that exalts Christ has and needs Aristarchuses, men and women whose testimony of service encourages the body through their mere presence. You know, there are some people that I see come into church and I know their history to this church. And it encourages me just to see them. A ministry that exalts Christ has and, has and needs John Marks. Men and women whose testimony of repentance and restoration encourages the body through their mere presence. I have people that come in that I see and I know what's going on in their lives, yet I can see that they are a testimony of God's grace as they have been turning from sin to righteousness and just to see them, to be with them, is an encouragement. And a ministry that exalts Christ has and needs Jesus' justices, men and women whose testimony of faithfulness encourages the body through their mere presence. There are men and women that walk in and through these church buildings that have just come to be with me or my wife or my family, even just in this last year and a half. And when they come to church, it is an encouragement just to see them, to be with them. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I all have those testimonies. To one degree or another, as we've been following after Christ, right? We have a testimony of service that we ought to be sharing. We have a testimony of repentance in our lives that we ought to be sharing with one another. And we have a testimony of presence, of fellowship, of relationships that we ought to be sharing with one another. We have all those stories of what God has done in and through our lives. And so you know what's left? It's for us to be present. It's for us to simply be present in each other's lives. So let me encourage you in two practical ways by which you can grow to be someone who serves Christ and serves the body by encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ. First, first encouragement I'd give you is come to church. I know that sounds so basic, but it's not. Come to church. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, which is the habit of some, but encourage one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Don't sell short the spiritual impact your mere presence can make on another believer. And by the way, don't sell short the spiritual impact that another believer can have on you. Come to church. Second, stay after church. Be present in your church family's lives. Let me encourage you. Make it a habit not to try to beat the Methodists to their local restaurant. Grace Chapel congregants ought to be the last people to the restaurant because the fellowship is sweeter and more precious than anything you can put on a plate. 
stay after church. Better yet, plan on taking or having lunch later on Sunday so you can hang out with others or invite someone over for lunch. We already do this, and what I'm doing is encouraging you to increase it, make it grow and abound yet more and more. Come to church. Stay after church. And then third, don't rely on church completely. Throughout the week, exhort one another daily and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Send texts to one another. Facebook messages, emails, phone calls, visits. We live in a day and age where we have more opportunities than ever before to stay connected in each other's lives. And yet for some reason we grow more and more distant. Come to church, stay after church. Don't rely entirely on church. Because part of the ministry that exalts Christ above all is those who encourage the ministry and they do that by being present. Let's grow together in this and be present in each other's lives for the glory of Christ. We have testimonies. Testimonies of service. Testimonies of repentance. Testimonies of fellowship and relationships that we are to share with one another so that all of us may hold up each other's hands as we exalt Jesus Christ above all. We'll have to look at the rest of the passage next week. But for now, this is the Word of God from Colossians 4, 10-11, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until Christ our Savior returns. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for the opportunity we have to open up Your Word. And I thank You, Father, for the testimony of these three men as they direct us back to Christ and His glory. Father, I thank You for the power of Jesus Christ We thank You that even among Paul's brethren, there were three that You had appointed unto eternal life and You called forth to Yourself. We thank You that they were were an encouragement to Him. We thank You that there was that man that had faithfully served and gone through hardship with Him. We thank You that there was that man who had experienced the transforming grace of Christ in bringing Him to repentance and restoration. And we thank You that there was that man who was simply with Paul when he needed Him. Father, You have given us those testimonies of Your grace as well as we are in Christ. And so Father, I pray that this week help us by Your grace to be more present in each other's lives so that as we tell of your great deeds, we would point our brothers and sisters towards Jesus Christ yet more and more. Help us, Father, to exalt Jesus Christ above all by being present. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.